Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 21, The Marquee, Part 2. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and once again tonight, we are joined by a very special guest host, Chris, from The Expanse, the Star Trek Enterprise podcast. Chris, say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Always so so simple and to the point. I, I yeah, like sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but before we get deep into the conversation tonight for Ma- the Maquis Part 2... I uh, just wanted to ask both of you guys, um, how are you guys doing this week? Anything anything crazy, exciting happen to you? Chris, go ahead, man. <clears throat> well, I uh, worked on cleaning up my gutters this morning and realized I'm getting too damn old for that shit. <laughs> 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 and I didn't even complete all the gutter. Well, oh, man, I can well, imagine. You can't level a complaint like that and then also not get the job done. I mean... <laughs> that's one of the it's mostly done that's the joy of getting older you only really get to truly dig into complaining after you finish the task <laughs> let everybody know truly how arduous it was <laughs> well how much more do you have to do uh it's really just one the the uh the south end of the house that i've got um, the part that's actually over most of the, the room. So is it the right, new place so. that you moved to? Because I remember when we were doing the Enterprise podcast, you were like in the process yeah. of moving. And so now this is after all of that, right? Nice. Correct. You got to get those, uh, those whatever that product is, where you put it over your gutters and it lets the leaves you know slide off, but the water can okay. drain through. I forget what that, that yeah. is, but the- you need that. Yeah, the as as seen on yeah, like gutter right? hurt or something like that. There you go. Oh, yeah, gosh, I, yeah. I, that's my that'll be our '90s moment. I miss all those early '90s infomercials <laughs> that seemed to just run in a giant ad block for about an hour. You know, between like three forty-five, four forty-five, you got them all, man. And then, of course, late night yeah. when you stayed up too late before the networks officially went off the air, you got that long stream. Of of infomercials, I think my favorite one, favorite two, was the Thompson's water seal one, and then there was another one for like this. I, I can't. I was so young, but I don't know what you call it. It was just this machine that seemed to demolish everything. Like you ran it through your yard, and if you had tall grass, you could take down the tall grass. If you had stumps out there, yeah, you oh, know, like, if, you like had, if you ran Bush into Master a stump, it didn't matter. Like this thing that. could chew it up. You know, just. Anything that was in your yard that you needed mulched, this thing could do it. And I was I was <laughs> entranced and terrified because I just knew that like small creatures were getting you know mauled in this thing. Um, but they made it look so easy and so simple. I mean, I really wanted to mow like hardcore lawns with this thing. It was it was beautiful. That's what, that's what you need. We need to bring those commercials back. Everything's so specifically targeted now you never know what you could really use or need yeah yeah like i've I've been noticing lately that when i watch youtube i'll get ads for like CeraVe and all these you know lotions and stuff um, and i don't really need the them. google algorithm clearly you do you're just not you're just not paying attention <laughs> apparently yeah they're watching you, you through that camera, man. They know your face. They know what they know what you need to work on. I know. There you I go. know. <laughs> You're broadcasting it now. It's going to be all over your stuff like, now. Yeah. 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 I mean, between between you know Bezos and Zuck and 
whoever's running Alphabet, which is Google's parent now. I, I tell mean, you what, yeah, if I walk into Facebook tomorrow and I see an ad for some giant bushwhacking machine or whatever, I, I will know that it's true. <laughs> I will know that it's true. We will have a whole other issue. Oh, no, Perry, you, you you didn't hear him. He said he was hearing Sarah V commercials. That's what you're going to oh, find, yeah, Sarah yeah. V commercials. That's true. <laughs> Facial cleansers and, yeah, there you go. Oh, man. <laughs> well, my week was almost uneventful. I did end up having to have um, some oral surgery uh, myself on, well, it was just yesterday, as a matter of fact, because today's Saturday for us, yeah. Yeah. So, um, totally threw me off my schedule. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it. It was one of those situations where, I mean, I, I tried to schedule it before. We'd done a lot of weed up and, you know, working with the dentists and orthodontists and everything else to figure out when we could do it and all this other kind of stuff. And for a brief moment, I didn't think that it was going to be this weekend, mainly because this is also Father's Day weekend. And who wants to be, you know, only able to slurp soup on, on Father's Day? You know, but um, it was just uh, a necessity. It had to happen. So it did happen. And I had a great experience, though. Like, um, I was put under. I didn't feel anything. Um, The IV worked amazingly well. And I came came out of it um, (laughs) um, quite calm and enjoying the overall experience. Um, as David will tell you, I did make only one, it seems one call, but, um, it was not an inappropriate phone call. <laughs> so it was apparently a, a very funny one. Well, that's so uh, I will, I'm glad with that. I was in a good mood is all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just, there's a little recording about 40 seconds long, you know, it's just Perry saying that he's done, but just a little, just, you know, he's drugged, a little drugged, a little happy. Hey, I will tell you, the dentist is where it's at. They've got some good stuff. Now, um, did run into some issues afterwards with the whole getting the pain meds and everything else, because that's when I found out, apparently, there are all these restrictions now on, like, the pain medications that they can give you these days. Didn't know that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, eye-opener there on what they can prescribe you and whatever else. So, um, but yeah, other than that. I'm great. I'm fine. Everything went well. And this was just part one. I go back for part two, which is kind of, you know, the more cosmetic aspect, but that's in several months. So other than that, though, good to go. And uh, my only thing I can say on that is take care of your your face. So there you go. (laughs) Do what you got to do. Take care of your face. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I'll I'll take my turn then. Um, So Perry, you know, I have talked about the fact that I'm reading some of the Dune books or the the sequel uh, and prequel books written by Frank Herbert's son, Brian Herbert. And so I finally got around to reading the last two chronologically in the series, the ones that are uh, supposedly based on an outline that Frank Herbert had before he died. Uh, so they kind of tie up the end of the story. Um, and I, I like them overall. I would just say, as I was thinking about what I would say about the books, all of the books by Brian Herbert, they're they're fine, they're good, but they always come off as as really good uh-huh. fan fiction, as I as how I would say it. Um, and you know, as the son of the author, that's fair, it's fine. You know, he's he's the one who's closest to the story. Um, but there are definitely moments, and the way I express the feeling, the sensation is if you ever see an artist in a painting or a drawing they do, um, and then you see someone do something to imitate or kind of reproduce that style, you can still tell differences. And I think the easiest example of that would be like Aladdin. The original Aladdin movie, you can there's a certain style to it, but the sequel movies they made, like The Return of Jafar and stuff like that, like they clearly didn't have the same animators mm-hmm. working on the films, the sequel films. And so... It's definitely in the same universe as the first Aladdin film, but the quality isn't quite the same. And I would say that in general, that's just kind of how I feel about the 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 sequel books. These other books, they're they're fine. They're a good read, but they're more interested in the plot than they are the characters. The original Dune books, the characters are fascinating. They're very interesting. They're three dimensional. Um, and then the plot, sometimes the plot is breakneck, like it's just going and going and it's hard sometimes to even keep up with it. 
the ones by Brian Herbert are more interested in the plot and the characters are okay, but there are times when they aren't as three-dimensional and interesting, or at least, you know, Frank Herbert wrote in such a way that it was sometimes a little hard to kind of get a grasp on what he was saying. Like you had mm-hmm. to really think about it, which is what made his books interesting. Uh, but these, they just give it to you. There's not, you don't really have to think about it too much. You just have it laid out in front of you. And so they're fine. They're good. There are certainly points where I'm like, oh, I would, I would critique this or critique that. Whereas with, you know, Frank, I wouldn't think to critique him. Like he's a, he's a, a master mm-hmm. at his craft. And so if you're critiquing him, it's more like, I'm not sure if I got it, or I'm not sure what he was trying to say. Not so much with his son. It's like, oh, I, the plot elements, I would change these plot, you know, things to you know, fit better in my version of how I would write a story. So I've enjoyed them. Just finished up those last two. Again, the last two are the Hunters of Dune and the Sandworms of Dune. Um, and you basically have to have read... Uh, Brian Herbert's prequel trilogy about the Butlerian Jihad to understand all of the plot points that go on in that final book, which is also interesting because that means that it's not a... I mean, you could go directly from the original six novels into these last two, but there are elements that they introduce in their own prequel novels that tie into these last couple books. And so I, I saw some things... Like before they happened, I, I kind of I guessed at what was going to happen, and it was nice to have those things uh, confirmed. It's always fun to kind of predict a story and, and kind of go the way you think it will, and then to see the unexpected things happen. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I did this week was finish up reading those books. I still have at least five, six other books that they've written that I haven't read yet, and I plan on reading them at some point, but. Yeah, I went through the original Dune series, the ones written by um, Frank Herbert, and um, I mean, I definitely enjoyed them, but I was never really able to get into the ones that his son wrote, kind of for the same reason that you just kind of that you hit on there about. I felt like a lot of this was taken, like it was great fan fiction, you know, um, right? Or yeah, just it didn't ring as true, which makes sense. Cause I mean, it's not, obviously not the same writer. And I mean, just, just because he's right. his son doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, he should, he should be the one to carry the torch, but I, I get it. And I'm not gonna, you know, you know, fault him for wanting to continue his dad's work, his legacy or whatever. But I just, and I, I know there was like a series of books that he wrote. Maybe that's the ones that you're talking about that you have to get to next where it's, um, I know they were set in like the very, very distant future, and like all the main characters that we knew from Dune were dead, but they had been brought back as Golas or whatever. And that's literally uh, the ones yeah. I just read. Yeah, the the, the finale of the series, uh, and that's exactly what happens. So Paul is uh, Paul and Chani and his mother Jessica. They are brought back as Gola clones of their original selves. And to, be, to just be very clear, they aren't the main characters in the story. They are there, and they have some things to do, but it's actually the characters that are more set in that time. Like, they're not being brought back from the past. They are the ones who, who are more central to the story. Um, and so the Gola characters are part of it but they're not the focus which i think was good because if you just kept bringing back your good characters your popular characters and just you know doing new stories with them over and over you get stale fast but they're just they're they're more like secondary characters in some ways to our otherwise main cast which was introduced by frank herbert which is what i liked you know those characters their story started in heretics of dune and basically it's a four-part series for those characters (laughs) Um, as they continue. Well, maybe on. I'll get there. Maybe I won't. <laughs> but um, we're not here to talk about Dune quite yet. I mean, I'm sure that we will, in a myriad of ways, relate a lot of sci-fi to what we are talking about. And tonight, but tonight, let's get to right. it, which is, of course, mm-hmm. part two of the Maquis. Okay, for Star Trek: Deep yeah. Space Nine. This was a great episode. Um, I think it was a great, you know, finale to what we had already established beforehand. Um, but who would like to give our summation? Um, well, I did it last week. I'm I'm good to pass it. <laughs> I'm willing. It doesn't matter. Chris, as, go for it. 
<laughs> All right. So again, we're just going to hit the highlights here because, as we've said before, this episode's like 30 years old. So go watch it and then come back and listen to us. Um, but of course, so this episode starts right where the other one left off. We've got um, Cisco, Kira, and Bashir in like a swamp, basically. And they are confronted by the leader of the Maquis, who is none other than Cal Hudson. Cisco and Hudson talk. They kind of do, uh, you know, the big reveal that it's, again, it's Hudson and he's trying to convince Ben to join him. Ben's like, no, we're not going to do that. There's other ways to solve this conflict. Once Hudson realizes that Cisco is not going to join him, he shoots him. And he knocks everybody out, basically. And he's just like, hey, let's get out of here because when they wake up, Cisco's going to be pretty PO'd. And he's right. Um, once they wake right. up, they get back to the station and he's essentially, as Cisco is basically like, we, the problem is more complicated than we initially thought. And he's greeted by Admiral Nechev, who is, um, the infamous Iron Lady from, uh, TNG, who gave Picard so much grief, uh, a long time ago. And, yeah. um, he also has to meet with a Legate Parn, who has come to the station to deal with the fact that Dukat has been kidnapped. Um... Necheyev wants Cisco to put a stop to this. She doesn't know yet about Cal and his betrayal, so she's basically given Cisco marching orders to work with Cal to get the situation under control, and she basically tries to downplay the severity of the Maquis threat, which kind of pisses Cisco off. Cisco gives a rousing speech about the big issue is not so much the 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 planets out in the demilitarized zone so much as it is earth because earth is completely free of any kind of conflict or corruption. And when you look out on beautiful earth, it's an idealistic paradise and it's hard for people to understand the struggles and um, difficulties that people out in in the frontier in the wilderness or whatever are going through. Um, He then meets with Leggett Parn, who is like, hey, we've just discovered that, uh, it's actually Gold Dukat who's who's really been smuggling weapons to these Cardassians, and we've arrested his cohorts back home. And you don't need to worry about Dukat anymore. He's with the Maquis. They're probably going to kill him, and that's fine with us because if we get him back, we're just going to kill him. And Cisco is um, not happy with that, mainly because um, he doesn't want anybody to really die on his watch, basically. But Kira mm-hmm. seems to be more than happy to let uh, Dukat just die. Um, which makes sense, considering their, you know, relationship. Um, Cisco decides he's going to mount a rescue mission for Dukat anyway. Again, Sis- Akira objects, but he's, he goes to do it anyway. Meanwhile, Dukat is being held by these Maquis, and they're trying to interrogate him. The Vulcan Zakona is trying to do a Vulcan mind meld. It's not working. Dukat makes a grand speech about how, um, you know, there are other ways to make people talk if you really wanted to make them talk, but the Federation citizens are don't no longer have the stomach for that kind of uh, barbarity, basically. And just as they're about to, right. you know, maybe prove him wrong, Cisco, Odo, and Bashir show up and they rescue Dukat. Um, Odo does a nice little liquid arm whip thing and pulls a guy down and. They arrest pretty much everybody yeah. else, but Cisco lets the one guy go to deliver a message to Cal saying, hey, you know, you can come back. I, I No one knows what's going, but what, what you've done yet. So you can come back, put your uniform back on, and we can figure out another way to solve this. Um, this doesn't seem to really go over very well with the guy, but he leaves anyway. Um, right. After that... Now that they've got Sakona and she's in uh, the holding cell, they finally get her to tell uh, Cisco all the weapons and stuff that they got. Um, they also realized that um, Quark was her mediator, go-between, to arrange the weapons that she wanted to buy. And, and Quark has told them... Whatever it is they wanted to do, there's a timetable for it. They want they need the weapons quickly because their target is uh, might be a moving target or whatever it is, right? So they know they have a timetable to get right. this done. Uh, so then while they're while Cisco and Odo and everybody else are trying to figure out what the um, target may be, 
Quark and Sakona are in a holding cell, and Quark is basically trying to convince her that now is a great time to argue for peace. Uh, the Federation knows that the Cardassians have been smuggling in weapons, the colonists have weapons, the Federation citizens have weapons, but no more new weapons are coming in. So now is a great time to kind of broker a peace before more people die. It seems like Sakona may be willing right. to listen, but we're not given, like, she doesn't 100% seem to commit. Um, after the rescue right. of Dukat, he's kind of brought up to speed, and he realizes that the Cardassian government is pretty much laying him out as the scapegoat for this. He decides it's probably in his best right. interest to work with Cisco in order to foil whatever plot's going on if he's ever to kind of get back in the good graces of anyone else. He uses his contacts to find out where the weapons depot, which is the target of the Maquis, is going to be. Um, Cisco and the runabouts, Mekong, Orinoco, and Rio Grande, of course, Orinoco, again, one of my favorites, um, go out <laughs> to lay a trap at the um, colony site where the weapons depot is going to be. Cal shows up along with another of the Maquis fighters. There's a shootout, and uh, one ship is damaged. The, one of the runabouts is damaged, which leaves... Cal and Cisco kind of doing this one-on-one -on -one shuttle duking it out. Um, right. Eventually, they kind of get to a point where it's like a stalemate. One, Neither ship is truly capable of defeating the other, um, but at least uh, Hudson's ship is still maneuverable. So Ducat is arguing with Cisco to basically shoot and destroy Cal's ship. Cal and Cisco are still kind of having this one-on-one, -on -one, each trying to convince the other one to join them, realizing that's really not going to happen, and that Cisco has pretty much won the day here. He has stopped their, you know, attack on the weapons depot and whatever else. He allows Hudson to escape, refusing to kill someone just because he was trying to defend his home. Ducat is pretty much upset with this, but there's nothing that he can really make Cisco do. And so the episode pretty much ends with Cal escaping and Cisco having to explain some of this to Nacheyev and everybody else. And Cisco's in his office. He's not really happy because, you know, Cal is gone. And um, even though Cisco, um, Starfleet is congratulating him overall for the handling of it, he's still kind of morose about how everything was left. But. Um, that's essentially it. Uh, Kira does congratulate him on preventing a war, but Cisco's mm -hmm. kind of like, um, I don't know if I just prevented the war or just delayed it a little bit. And that's essentially the episode. Yep. We don't really know where Cal is anymore on this. We don't really know the full status of the Maquis, but things do seem to have at least de-escalated a bit. And that, in a glorified nutshell, is the episode. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So as I said, that was just highlights. If you want to know more, go watch the episode and uh, come back and listen to us because we are going to do our deep dive here. And there's a lot, there's a lot that I really love about this episode, so I can't wait to get started. But as always, guys, first thoughts on this conclusion to a great two-parter. Again, Chris, start, start us off. All right. Well, I, uh, I definitely, it definitely did, you know, serve as a, as a good ending for the two-parter, unlike certain other endings to two-parters that we've had in the past, looking at you, second half of Best of Both Worlds. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that definitely, you know, did that. And then kind of kind of going, watching it again, you know, seeing how decisions made in this episode directly impact, you know, future events within DS9 itself. Mm -hmm. Like... If Cisco just left Dukat to the Maquis and the Maquis kill him, he's not there for the power race to take uh, over, therefore not leading to Chris, Jed's, Jedzia's death. Spoilers. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was distracted. I, I, Sorry, I didn't hear okay, all that. Chris, okay. we have a fully uninitiated here. Oh, yeah, David that's right. Has that's never, right. David has never seen uh, Deep Space Nine, so watch, watch those forward-looking spoilers. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Of course, I do. I do listen to our episodes, so I probably will have to come to this part and just skip ahead real quick. Well, it, it, it's about twenty-two minutes in. You can just kind of skip over that minute. We'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk in editing. We'll talk in post. 
I had to skip this over. Um, it's all good. It's but all you good. you are correct in the sense of you know. I thought about that too, and watching it when when Leggett Parn shows up and he's like, "Hey, it doesn't matter. Either the Marquis are going to kill him or we're going to kill him." If Cisco had just stopped right then, a lot of conflict, even in the rest of this episode, would have been done because there would have been no Ducat, no no need to rescue him, no need to really try to go out and try to convince um, Cal the way he did. You know, they also wouldn't have known about the weapons depot, which Cal would have been able to destroy. So that would have led to a different kind of conflict altogether because then the Federation would have been fully committed to a war at this point. Federation citizens destroying a Cardassian stronghold would have definitely been an act of aggression that the, that neither side could have ignored. So Without Ducat, right. yes, yeah. there would have been no other issues, but there also must would have been a Federation Cardassian War round two. Because as we now as we know, the Federation and the Cardassians have already fought at least one war and several other conflicts before this. Right. Um one thing I'd like to talk about a little bit here is also the the Maquis themselves. So last week we did a deep dive on kind of the in Trek history of the Maquis and how they get started. But there's one scene in particular that I would like uh, you guys to take on, and that is where we see Ducat being held by the Maquis, and they're trying to gather information from him. The Vulcan, Sakona, is trying to do a mind meld. It's not working, and Ducat is basically like, there's other ways to make people talk. You're going to have to, essentially, he's saying, you're going to have to physically torture me. You know, that that... Blowing up a ship is one thing, but looking your victim in the eyes while you do atrocities is the only way to really get anywhere. And we and he basically says right. that Starfleet has trained Federation citizens so well that essentially that kind of maliciousness has been bred out of people, at least by this time in the future. Now, we've got this one very gung-ho Maquis guy who is just like, I'll show you that you know, we can be just as ruthless and savage as the next race or whatever. We don't see him do it, but again, that's the the part that stuck with me the most was Ducat saying that, basically being like, the Federation likes to think of themselves as so high-minded and evolved that torture is is not in the cards for them anymore. What do you think about that in regards to us currently? Do you think that we as as... as a civilization would ever get to that point that, you know, any kind of barbarism on that level would truly be just unthinkable for us? Or is this truly just the height of sci-fi fantasy writing? It depends on who's in charge. Yeah. In in the next, I'd say probably the next 15 years. That soon. Oh no, I'm saying, I'm saying whoever's in charge within the next 15 years Will determine if we get that far, you know. There, that's the what I'm saying. You mean I'm, you're, you're saying that the turning point is that soon, 15 years. I'm, I'm saying we're we're in the turning point. Oh, well, there's a almost bleak outlook. I don't know how I feel about <laughs> that statement, man. I don't know if I should feel hopeful <laughs> or scared because uh, if you follow the Trek timeline, that means that you know we got to have a World War Three and what is it? What do they say? It's like a third of the human population is decimated. By the end of World War Three, so uh, yeah, not liking those odds, not liking <laughs> yeah. those odds at all. Well, if I go, just just so y'all know, I still love Star Trek, and I will love it till the end. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want the end to be in fifteen years. Okay? <laughs> I got things to do, or, or I'm planning to do. All right, so yeah, I guess I would just say that. I mean, I think our our modern culture would certainly. Be, is is appalled the idea of torture and force, forcing people to give confessions and such, um, but you know there are dark stories we hear from places like Guantanamo Bay, you know, like those pictures mm-hmm. of those soldiers having you know doing something to the prisoners that were there, you know, humiliating them at the mm-hmm. very least. How much of it was outright torture? I don't know, um, as opposed to just like making them you know wear bags and standing for a long time. I would say that I was in our modern culture. I think we certainly think of ourselves as like the Federation does here. Um, but I don't know how, how dark is that? 
how dark does it get underneath those uh, dark yeah. dark holes in the world where you know people are thrown for a time? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's true. I think that people try to you know think that we are already have already risen above some of these things, but I also think that there's a large group of the population that sees a lot of that as a necessary evil. And then there are some who just see it as necessary, you know? And, um, I don't know where everybody falls on that, but I feel like there's way too many shades of gray and then just pure black in there for us to truly, um, be above it just yet. And I don't think that, I think that, uh, it will take more, a lot more time to get to that point where, such things would truly be awful to us. So I think we've got maybe, you know, a hundred years, maybe the next couple of generations will finally be to that point where such actions and whatever else would be horrible for us to take. But um, I just found that very interesting, that little statement about, you know, he was saying that, you know, your Federation masters basically have trained you all too well. You don't even realize it. You know, that's how deeply ingrained it was, according to Dukat, anyway, in humans. Um, But it always seems like, at least in sci-fi, we see this, I think we see this a lot, which is that humans are advanced, or only as advanced as they need to be when they're comfortable. When things become uncomfortable, then that drops away, the facade of civility drops away, and every polite, well-dressed human is just as savage and barbarous as whatever big bad it is that they're combating. And I also think that, that relates back to what Cisco was saying when he was kind of speech shouting at, at Kira about about Earth and how Earth is a paradise. So everybody looks like angels in pain. Nechayev. No, it he was didn't say Nechayev. That was right after Nechayev left right. and Kira came into his office. And he was ranting. He, he was ranting about how the problem is Earth. Right. Because Earth is beautiful. Earth is a paradise. Everybody looks like an angel or whatever in paradise, but these people don't live in paradise. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I, had the, I, I, I actually have that quote pulled up because I was wanting to talk about it, and it was on Nechayev talking about it, and that's what kind of threw oh, that's me off okay. there. But... Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was kind of thinking that over, and, you know, in so many ways, Star Trek can relate to stuff that's happening, you know, right now or, you know, just a few years ago. Right. And with this speech, it's kind of looking back, you know, on, you know, the past couple years. It's like Cisco's telling this to a t- telling this to mainly the the white people in America currently. I'm going to let you to. I want you to explain. Keep going. Okay. Um. Like you know, especially you know, with everything that, that happened, you know, with the the Black Lives Matter movement two years ago, um, there were a lot of a lot of white people that were thinking, okay, this we need we need to start doing something. And a lot of, but there were still a bunch that were like, uh, no, why, why, why should this even matter? You know, see, see how they're acting after all of this. And I know a lot of white people, myself included, were like, well, if you remember how the colonies acted with the Brits, it's, you can kind of draw a parallel to that as well. Okay, so... And say, say, saying be 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 more an, an ally and try to help out where you can, type of thing. So I would agree that you know there tends to be a sense of, um, I guess, complacency when things aren't right in your face, and that might might be more of what Cisco was also right. talking about here too in his parallel of of Earth. And so I can see what you're saying here about being an ally. Like just because things are comfortable for you doesn't mean that you should turn a blind eye to those people that are uh, struggling. And that's the kind of the point, I guess, that he's making on behalf of the Maquis and also that Cal seems to be making too, because he even says, you know, he feels like the Federation turned their backs on these citizens out here with this treaty and trying to preserve this peace with the, with the Cardassians. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to find a way though, to be an ally to people who could potentially start a war um, that would affect millions at this point is definitely where Cisco is 
struggling the most because it's not just about him trying to right. uh, preserve a treaty or even a friendship. It's, you know, there's definitely this real consequence of a war which would affect millions of people. And he even says the same thing to Cal when Cal's trying to get him to come over to his side. And he's like, you know, you when they were talking about the Bachnor, he's like, hey, the Bachnor will never, you know, smuggle guns and smuggle weapons again. This was like, yeah, but there's a whole crew of people who will never go home to their families again. And so there's like this, this uh, dichotomy, I guess, of the stance between these two individuals, you know? And I think that that kind of that kind of thinking is important when we're looking at any issue um, is not just which one side may or may not be affected, but like how everything ties to everyone else and how we can all really benefit when we can be allies, but do it in, yeah. a, do it in uh, the right context, I guess is what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. I think that ties in pretty well to what happens at the beginning of the episode when Cal and Cisco are trying to encourage the other to turn away from their actions and Cisco says um, you're not looking for peace you're looking for revenge and Cal says I prefer to call it retaliation um, you know if, if if an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind Cal is kind of in that mindset like yeah the he's not him that I think they're talking to when they mentioned that the no was it him or was it the other guy that they're talking to when he says you know that that ship had people on it and they're their families are going to miss them. So, you know, it's, they have people that care about them too. Um, and, and Cisco is kind of right. You know, like they are looking for, it seems like they're a little too willing to be violent. They're willing to punish. They're willing to go for revenge as Cork points out, you know, it's not peace that they seem uh, actually going for, or at least they, they claim yeah. peace, but they're not, actually looking for the fastest and cheapest way to obtain that goal. They actually uh, seem to have another goal because they're not willing to pay the price to get peace. They, they seem to be, if they're willing to pay more than they actually uh, would, would need to pay to get peace as Quark uses his, you know, rules of acquisition mm -hmm. to point out, then um, they're, they're overpaying on some level. So yeah, this, the Marquis is a fascinating group as an idea now, these are freedom fighters, right? They are people who have been hurt and hunted and, you know, they're in a kind of cold war of sorts with the Cardassians. But, you know, if they, how much are they responsible for escalating the tensions? Uh, do they escalate yeah. the tensions by going too hard? Do they need to go hard against the Cardassians to like blow up this, you know, this, those weapons depot? Because, you know, if they don't, then they're going to be attacked again. Um, are they going to just sit back and let themselves be, you know, hurt and attacked before the Federation responds? Or do they go ahead and say the Federation has failed us. We have to take responsibility uh, right now. Um, and that's why that scene with Admiral Necheyev is, is great. You know, she says, ah, they're, they're Federation citizens. They should be willing to listen to reason. Uh, why don't you go and make contact with them? And as soon as she walks out, Cisco yeah. says, what the hell does she think I've been doing? <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she says she's she's very dismissive of the Maquis, and she even says, you know, um, I'm, they're Federation citizens. I'm sure they'll see reason. Like she she's very oblivious to the situation, which in a lot of ways, I think um, the scene between the two of them really um, exemplifies the ish the differences between TNG and Deep Space Nine, which is like we've said before, you know. On Next Generation, they kind of warp in, yeah, there's a yeah. problem, they give a quick solution, and then they warp out. They don't have to sit with any of the consequences right. of what their decision may have right. may have brought. Whereas yeah. here, Cisco being like, she's giving him this order and is already out the door and on to her next whatever that she's got to do. Meanwhile, he's the one who's got to sit there and he's got to do the negotiations. He's got to be the man that's on the ground and meet with everybody and make sure things are going off without a hitch. And he's got to rescue the the captured Ducat right. and, and he's got Cardassians at his back door and all this kind of stuff. Like he's got all these things that are unfolding from her sweeping edict of go well, talk to him. They're reasonable. Go Perry, figure it here's out. The, you know? here's, the, here's the cherry on top of what you just pointed out. She says to him, you and Cal need to like figure this out. And Cal, as we just had realized has given up his Federation 
you know, badge, suit, everything. He has abandoned the Federation, and she doesn't even know it. It because Cisco doesn't tell her, she's not aware of the fact that her main contact with the Maquis or with with the Fed, uh, the settlers, he has gone AWOL, and she doesn't know it. Yeah. Um, He's a rogue agent. Exactly. She doesn't even know. And she, and she doesn't really seem to, to be honest, she doesn't really seem yes. to care. She is very much just, uh, you know, hey, go, you and Cal, and she sort this come, out. You know, and she doesn't and come on. back at the end of this episode. At the end of the episode, it, it's doesn't. actually, I think you, one of you guys said that it was Kira that was <clears throat> congratulating him. Uh, it wasn't that. Yeah, Kira passes on yes, the message. she passes on the message from Starfleet. But um, Cisco is all like, I don't know if I actually did anything. And, you know, Kira's like, I don't know either. Um he deserves. She said, "Thinks she deserves some credit." But it's not that the admiral comes and says, "Good job, Cisco." She just sends on a message. Good job. You did your. You did your job. It could, you know, pat on the back, pat on the head. Uh, and Cisco's like, "Oh man, I, this 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 hasn't been solved. We, we still got this problem. It might have kind of you know gone to 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 seed for a little bit, but uh, it's gonna. Those weeds are gonna pop back up soon enough." Oh yeah, absolutely. This is not the last time that we hear of the Marquis, um, and they do play a larger part, not just in some things that happen next for Deep Space Nine, but as we've already indicated, you know, Star Trek Voyager. There's a large Marquis contingent there that we deal with for the entire run of that show. So um, yeah, it certainly doesn't deal with the problem at all. Really, there's not a real solution that's presented. At least at this stage. So what happens to the Maquis, their ultimate fate? Um, yeah, you can find that out if you watch this and, of course, Voyager. But we're not going to get into that. That's We're, gonna, we're not going to do spoilers right. there. But I have to say, I really enjoy this take on Federation citizens. I think this has been one of those burning questions <laughs> that people have about what other Federation citizens get up to. Because not everybody is in Starfleet. Not everybody is on a ship somewhere doing science and exploring the galaxy and whatever else. There's people who are out there just trying to live their lives, same as everybody else. You know, they're they're teachers and farmers and doctors and lawyers, and they're just like the rest of us. They just live in this larger protected uh, space. And then what happens when you move out and beyond that, and when you essentially give up your your rights and protection under that, which is what the Maquis not necessarily the Maquis, but the planets that they originate from, that's what they did yeah. when this treaty and everything went down. As we said last week, the um, treaty signed, you know, declared these planets were Cardassian and these planets were now Federation. Whichever side you were on, you needed to switch. And some did and some didn't. And the Maquis mm -hmm. sprung up from those that didn't, Right. you know. And this is them trying to protect their homes. And it, I still think it's interesting that it was always like, we recognize they've given up their rights of protection, but anytime anything like this has now happened as they're still trying to protect their homes, oh, now they're Federation citizens again. And now it's the Federation's responsibility to bring them in. It's like, well, back with Picard, before he warped out of there, when the treaty was signed, it was they understood that they were no longer under the protection of the Federation. So if you extend that thinking, they already knew that they were not going to be getting any kind of support or backup from the right. Federation. So now that they're out here and they've cobbled together ships and they're firing phasers at whatever and doing weapons raids and all this kind of stuff, now all of a sudden the Federation wants to try to jerk them back in here. So I really feel like, to a certain extent, the Federation is wrong here. Because if it was really that... Uh, serious, they should have forced those citizens to leave a long right. time ago. Now they're trying to kind of overcorrect their mistake of letting them be out there and exist on this other side, and it's kind of too little too late. Well, you're totally so. right. I, the way I would think about it is this treaty is just bad. It's just a bad treaty. Like, they're supposed to treat it as a demilitarized zone, but that means that, like, what, the citizens are still, like, responsible for any violence that happens, which means the Federation is still responsible, but the Federation yeah. has said we're not going to be engaged in any military exercises. It's like, it's like the Federation has truly abandoned these areas, or at least they have on, mm -hmm. on a piece of paper, and yet 
they're afraid that the Cardassians are going to like hold them responsible for if there is something that happens. It's like, it is a bad treaty. Whoever <laughs> signed this treaty yeah, it, was doing a bad job. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you know, the Federation is doing their best to um, honor their part of the treaty, saying, you know, yeah, it is a demilitarized zone. We're not going to establish bases and we're not going to supply mm-hmm. the colonists with weapons. But then the Cardassians are like, screw that. We signed it, but we're going to do it right. anyway. And then the Federation refuses to right. investigate because they don't want to antagonize the Cardassians. And I'm like, but. You've left your people without any kind of recourse. Like, if there is if there is truly a treaty violation, the Federation needs to step up and enforce the treaty, at the very least. But it doesn't seem yeah. like, at least from the standpoint that Necheyev is offering when she shows up anyway, it doesn't seem like they're willing to yeah. do that. It just seems like they want, they want the Federation citizens to capitulate and really just kind of move out of the area. They don't even want them to be there. They're not willing to help them at all. They're just kind of like, look, it'd be a lot easier for us if you just moved over to our side. Yeah. You know, and again, I feel like that's yeah. wrong. Enforce the treaty. If it's that important, right. enforce the treaty. And it took Cisco being kind of backhanded with things and waiting for Ducat to be discredited and all this stuff before they could finally get the evidence they needed to do anything. And even then, Mateev doesn't seem like she wants to right. do anything. So, or at least Starfleet, because again, we never seen Nateyev again. So it's like, Ben now has the proof that he needs, but they're still intent on stopping Hudson rather than getting more Federation ships out to this demilitarized zone and not only launching an investigation, but also supporting those Federation citizens that are right there. Yeah, if anything, they're just going to police the Federation citizens, or like ex-Federation citizens, and... uh I guess that's what's interesting is like if these if this demilitarized zone is effectively these people have lost Federation citizenship because they're in the militarized zone and then the Federation is going to step in and still police them against their own interests. Yeah, this treaty is one big cluster. <laughs> so wait a minute. So wait a minute. Did we just come up with a convincing argument for why the Maquis are right? I mean, I think the argument that the show is making that the Maquis have a point is just that the problem is, is as as Cisco is concerned, they're going to go too far and escalate it. Because mm-hmm. that's the whole point of his little rant right after uh, Nechev is in his... Is in his yeah, it's, it's like mm-hmm. As soon as he goes on his rant, he basically says that the Maquis are right, um, that you know Earth doesn't understand the situation, and that they, they do have something that needs to be solved here, uh, and that, that you know they're the only people able to make a decision because they're the only ones they're the ones who are responsible for themselves and no one else is going to step in and do it uh the federation has kind of lost track of the ball here um and so that's actually why that scene is great because as he's ranting he's ranting at kira as if he has to convince kira and then kira's like i disagree with everything you just said like are you ranting at me because i'm the one who in the last episode got kicked out of the office because I was pushing back against you. I was the one saying that the Marquis needs support. I was the one saying the Cardassians can't be trusted. And you gave me the cold shoulder and kicked me out. And now you're ranting and raving about everything I agree with. So, yeah. So what's fun about this episode is Cisco is really put between this rock and a hard place. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I can't really remember any other episodes where he really was, like, upset. Like, he might be angry. He might have a strong stance, but this is the first time I think we've seen him really having to grapple with some problems that like truly are double sided. Like he, he can see both sides of the argument. He can see the marquee wanting to defend themselves. He can see the Federation trying to enforce this treaty. Yeah. It's, it's great to see him uh, having to put up with hard questions. Wow. I'm sorry, but um, and all the times I've watched this episode, I've never sided with the marquee. Until now. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Never. I mean, because you know, I was always, I was, you know, growing up, I was just always so in love with the idea of the Federation and Starfleet, and you know, Cisco representing a lot of that, and he was always a, a character that I really admired, and it just never occurred to me that the yeah, the Maquis had a point. I was like, oh, you're going to get Starfleet. I don't care. Smack him down. You know. <laughs> now, just in us talking about, it, I'm like, yeah, they really did have a point. I mean. Yeah, they've given up all their rights and protections under the Federation to stay on these planets. So what else could they do when this alien race is coming in and 
threatening them and abusing them and hurting them and shooting them and everything else. What what else can you do? No one else is going to protect you. You got to yeah. protect yourself. I mean, I, I want to just say it again. I love Instant Row. That char- <laughs> that act uh, that that last uh, penultimate episode, which at the moment I'm forgetting. Um, I think it was anyway. Preemptive Strike. The one where she. Yeah, the one where she joins the Marquis, and I love her character so much that, like, while I was torn to see her leave the Federation and, like, betray everything she had stood for up to that point, like, you see her in, that, in the course of that episode change her allegiance, and uh, so I, I've always been sympathetic to the Marquis. I still agree that the Federation has an, has a responsibility, and even the moral right, they're, they're morally correct to say we need to stick with this treaty, uh, but the Marquis is not just you know, a black and white, you're wrong, you're right mm-hmm. type situation. They have a point, but it's just, if they, if they overdo it, and let me put it this way, they are David versus Goliath. The Cardassians are Goliath. If the Marquis instigate enough with the Cardassians, the Cardassians won't hesitate to bl- just obliterate them. They're going to take those acts of war that the Marquis will use, and the Marquis will basically in un unfortunately invite retaliation and so um the marquis instead of what the marquis should be doing is trying to get the federation to come help i mean maybe that's the argument is that they've tried to get the federation to come help and the federation ignored them but from what i've seen the marquis haven't really done enough instead of cal saying to the federations hey you know ringing the alarm bell saying there's a problem he like throws his hands up abandons his duty to the Federation and starts leading the Maquis. So, I mean, Cal in this episode is is fully committed. We didn't mention it yet, but there's the scene where uh, Cisco goes to the Maquis and announces, I know your plan is to attack a weapons depot. I'm going to stop you. And Cal shows up with some of his men. And when, H- when Cisco tries to give uh, him his suit back, his, his Federation suit, Cal obliterates it he, yeah. he shoots it and 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 mm-hmm. makes it disappear uh indicating that he is fully committed to the marquee he has given up any allegiance to the federation um so it really feels like cal i mean we haven't seen an, enough of what cal did before we see him now to know how much he tried and tried and tried and never got a response that was acceptable to him uh all we see is that he's just you know decided to move on as he says, like he, um, you know, Cisco says, like I'm gonna miss a friend, or you're you're giving up your whole life, everything you believed in, and he says, well, I'm gaining a new one, uh, during their their uh, dogfight at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. and uh, Cal is committed. I mean, that dude is almost ready to to take down Cisco, like kill his old friend, like he doesn't hesitate to shoot during that dogfight. Yeah. While Cisco is kind of holding back, and and Gold Ducat is giving him a hard time and telling him he's mm-hmm. a coward, and I thought I respected you, <clears throat> and Cisco's like, ah, I don't, I'm not gonna sleep any worse tonight than I did last night, you know, just because I don't have your approval, Gal Ducat. Um, yeah, it's ah, I love gray episodes where the episodes where the the grayness of moral decision making has to be fought and wrestled with. Um, Whoa. Because well, I, I, I would say that, <laughs> yeah, because you asked like what I thought about this episode earlier, and I didn't get a chance to really answer. I would just say I felt this episode was a little bit anticlimactic because the final dogfight at the end is very small. It's just the, it's just the, the runabouts and two of the Maquis ships, uh, but it's not like a big, you know, it's not like the, the Enterprise is engaging yeah. in, a, in a huge, they don't got the photon torpedoes and they don't have, you know, the, the, the shields are down to 20%. There's nothing like that. You know these ships get hit once and they're gone. They're out for the for the fight. Um, so I definitely felt like this episode was a little anticlimactic because we didn't really solve the situation just yet, and the firefight wasn't a big, big, big fight. But um, the whole situation around yeah, the Maquis definitely. is just is is great. It's a great uh, story uh, that we have going, and I look forward to more. And I think that's a good point, though. Um, you know, again, the Enterprise dark fights, if you want to call them that. There was always a clear villain. And I think that the point <laughs> yeah. here was that there isn't one. So, right. you know, it works on the smaller scale with the ships because it makes it more personal. And it also works because, you know, 
there's not a bunch yeah. of other things to distract us from the dialogue between Cisco and Cal, even though Ducat is insufferable um, in, 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 in when he's in the co-pilot seat there. You know, but yeah, yeah, I think that 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 again just kind of highlights the differences between these two shows, which I think they do a great job of doing for so early on in the show. I mean, again, this is season two, and I think they've done a lot to really help us to establish that this is not the same. And um, and this episode has a lot of that from the way that Cal and Cisco are represented, the shuttlecraft dogfights, the Chayef and her attitude versus what Ben's telling her, and the casual dismissiveness of it, you know, a lot of great stuff that we get to work with here. Um, but yeah, they just, I think they really nailed it for us on showing us the differences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So then of course we have to ask the question of, since we've talked about so many great points, what are some not so great points? What were some low moments in this part two of the episode? Had very little Dax, Bashir. <laughs> O'Brien didn't really make much of an appearance. I mean, that's fine because it was mainly about Cisco. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, you know, great character. Um, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Avery Brooks plays him so well. Um, he always, Avery Brooks always plays Cisco with that real low, kind of quiet, that you know, subtle threat. Intensity. The subtle threat is what, yeah. I, what I've come to call it the subtle threat in almost everything he says i love it yeah um and actually we haven't really talked yeah. about gold ducat enough this this episode is really about gold ducat who is this guy how does he interact with cisco um i think it was great that moment where he's back on the station and he's enjoying all the food and he's you know talking about how you know ah uh, you know back on Cardassia, when we do a, a trial, we know the outcome before it's it starts because we need to please the people. And then um, as soon as Cisco reveals that, oh, by the way, Central Command was about to throw you under the bus <laughs> and get you get you your own trial, which I'm sure would have would have been yeah. fair and comforting. And, yeah, and Goldicott's uh, like, uh, maybe I need to help you solve the situation. I'll, I'll tell you what, you help me solve the whole, uh, the whole, uh, the, 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 the depot being attacked, and I'll help you neutralize the, the Marquis. And <laughs> I mean, we don't really see any result from his end of things. Last we see of him is him insulting Cisco, saying, "I thought I respected you," and uh, Cisco saying, "I'm not going to lose any sleep over it." <laughs> But we don't see what happens after that. You know, Gold Ducat seems to be on the out and out from the Central Command. But in the last episode, he said he knew more than that was going on. So, I mean, he was being duplicitous all last episode. So maybe he's not on the outs with the Central Command, but he was just running some sort of, you know, really complicated Long con. undercover op. Yeah. So. What about you, Chris? What do you think were some less than stellar moments here for us in this part, part two. Oh. Oh. Like I say probably, probably just, you know, I mean, not not that I, that I should have been really disappointed in Nechev, but, you know, being disappointed in Nechev just basically pulling pull, pull like a, we'll, we'll, we'll dub a TNG and just, you know, say this is what you need to do and then leaves. <laughs> I think it's easy to be disappointed in her because, I mean, one, they set her up for it so well. And, (laughs) you know, and then, of course, her coming from next gen to here, I mean, she was already kind of established as one of the more antagonistic admirals that we that we see. You know, she had already uh, bristled against Picard and no one likes that. You know, you can't mess with uh, good old space dad, you know. The, right. the man you, the man whom everybody wants to be, you know, proud of them. You can't mess with him, and so yeah, she was already set up to be, um, kind of our negative Nancy here, if you want to use the term at all. And then of course, her. <laughs> but even the responses they elicit, even though like in both cases, Picard, Cisco, they both clearly disagreed with Nacheyev in her stance. Their the way they express it is completely different. You know, again, mm-hmm. Cisco's just got that, again, that subtle threat that they just, it's just below the surface. If you push him just enough, it's going to come out, you know, it's going to come bubbling out. And, you know, 
Whereas Picard gets a little bit more latitude and leeway because he's actually a captain. Cisco is not. Cisco is just a commander. You know, he's the same rank as Riker here. And so it's I always like the fact that, you know, she gives her marching orders and quickly turns on her heel and walks out. And Cisco is still talking, you know, as she goes out of his goes out of his office. And then it's Kira that walks in and really catches the last of what Cisco was going to going to say and what he really wanted to say to the chef. So right. yeah, a lot of differences here, but I just love the fact that he just, I mean, he, he never really seems to hold back on that for very long. And of course, one of my favorite scenes that we didn't talk about yet, it's just, it's a small one. It's after uh, it's revealed who Sakona bought her weapons from or through anyway. And it's Quark and right. he's sitting in the holding cell and here comes Cisco and, you know, He's asking questions, but again, it's that veiled, it's very subtle, but that deep, deep baritone he's giving him, you know, and he's like, you, 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 you being in a holding cell is the last of your, it's going to be the least of your worries if you don't tell me exactly what I want to know. And just the way that right. he says it, I'm like, yeah, um, I don't know if that means he's going to like arrest you or kill you. Because either one, <laughs> either one could work with, with his delivery, you know. And then, of course, yeah. Odo is just perfect. He's just like, well, we're waiting. And he's just glaring at him, you know. <laughs> Those three in a scene together is always great. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame that we didn't get more of that, especially in these early days before the characters are, like, fully fleshed out. So we would just get these very um, acute examples of them together. I think that would be great. But, uh Yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, you you for you also you have to remember at the very end of that scene as uh, Cisco's leaving. Odo asks, "How long should I keep him here?" Like, yeah, <laughs> forever. Forever. <laughs> <Walks out. laughs> yeah. It definitely harkens back to the first scene, you know, in the first season when uh, you know Cisco essentially blackmails Quark, and then he leaves. Yeah. He leaves Odo's office, and Odo's like, "And you know." I thought I wasn't going to like him. <laughs> <was just> like, <laughs> yes. Those three together have some, some really great moments and it's just, but it's just yeah. so rare, um, which just yeah. is great credit to Avery Brooks, Armin Shimmerman and Renee Albergenois. They do such a great job with their characters, strong performances. And even when we're like, what are some less than stellar moments? If you, if it involves those three, it's hard to really find because they just deliver so well over and over again. Right. So, um, yeah, I definitely enjoyed all of that. Yeah, I agree. Well, so any final thoughts as we're coming up here on the end uh, of our talk tonight? Chris, yeah, go ahead. I guess I I think I've I've said said my piece, so <laughs> not really a whole lot more that I can expunge upon. <laughs> well, yeah, that's I, fine. Yeah, I would just say for myself that um, the Cardassians are a are a great foil for the Federation and Gold Ducat Cisco, and the Marquis are a great gray, a morally gray group. Um, I I can see their point. I can see where they're coming from. But I also know that they uh, they have some issues that they need to work out, and Cisco is caught there in the middle. Not only is he the one who's having to be the the military kind of commander in the area, but it's his best friend who has abandoned the Federation for this for these people. I mean, again, if if Ensign Rowe was someone who betray, who gave up her allegiance to the Federation for the Maquis. Uh, imagine actually having a, li- a lifetime friendship with that person who who is now leading this group. Ah, I can't wait for more. Well, all right. My own final thoughts are just going to be that this is yet again a great example of excellent writing on Deep Space Nine. Um, this show does two-parters so well. It does complex story arcs so well. And again, this is only the second season. And we've already got uh, yet another two-parter. Again, the, the the season started with a carryover and then some. It was three. It was a three-parter that got us into yeah. season two. And uh, here they are kind of giving this to us again, showing us that excellence in story writing, which um, 
uh, it saddens me to remember that when this show was originally airing, it got almost no one paying attention to it. And it's now, here we are, 30 years later, and this show is having its own kind of rebirth revival online here. Um, and, I, and I love seeing it. Don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying all the new treks and everything else, but I definitely love seeing the uptick in Deep Space Nine-related stuff. What I don't like seeing is the comparison to Babylon 5, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> Definitely a story for another time. Um, quick update, of course, as always, you should have been ready to switch to Paramount Plus by now, because as we know, Deep Space Nine, the final Trek show that was on Netflix, will be gone July 1st. So if you have not made your switch to Paramount Plus, do so. That is where all Trek will be. I've double checked. There's not gonna. It's not gonna be on any other platforms unless you buy one of those kind of like tie-in packages. Like if you have Amazon, for example, you can buy the little whatever it is that gives you Amazon and Paramount Plus access. So yeah. you can you can do it that way. Same thing with Hulu. You get your little Hulu bundle and include it that way. But again, the main home is going to be Paramount Plus. So that's it. That's where you're going to have to watch it. That's where you can get all the new treks. Go ahead and do it. It's worth it. And right now, still, Paramount Plus is pretty cheap. So do it now before they hike their prices up and then you're like, screwed. Okay? (laughs) But other than that, it has been a pleasure, guys, speaking with both of you about this great episode. Um, Hopefully we can do it again uh, sometime if you are interested. Well, if you're interested, Chris, David has to stay. He doesn't really have a a choice. (laughs) Yeah, there, there, there's definitely a few few later on that, that I that I do want to talk about. So okay, well, we'll keep you posted, obviously, as we do episodes, and you let me know, let us know what episodes. And of course, as always, you guys can find us anywhere that there is uh, social media. We're on Twitter, of course, and Facebook as the Fire Capes, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast, and you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. But until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. See ya.